Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. <coughs> we pick it up in verse 19. Sorry, we've been having screen troubles. Hebrews chapter 10, picking up the uh, letter in verse 19. And this is God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us (coughs) through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, folks, one of the core, and uh, is this you, Ron Goss? Is this you? Thank you so much, man. One of the core um, and widespread preaching mistakes is to approach the work thinking, how can I fill up 30 minutes? Um, and I say that it's widespread, and I've been in this biz a long time, and I can smell it when a preacher gets up there, and they, that's the way they approached it. And I bet you can too. And what happens is they hear some illustration, they see some illustration that's been passed around the country, and they go, oh, that's a hot one. Oh, that's a good illustration. Oh, that's gold. I can't wait to put that in there. And now all I have to do is just put some stuff around that illustration, and I got a sermon. And, uh, you know, it'll take about five minutes to tell that story. It's an Old Testament narrative. That's five minutes to read the passage. I only have to come. That's, I'm a third of the way done with my sermon already. A couple of little illustrations in there. I'm halfway done. I need to come up with 15 minutes of substantive stuff. And uh, that's, how, that's how sermons are often written. Rather, the thoughtful expositor should ask and should do what, what the writer of Hebrews is doing and, and say, what do these souls need to hear? And who's back there? Tingley? Hey, Tingley. Uh, Russ Chatham, are you in the room? Uh, you know, Paul Tingley and Russ Chatham trade off um, uh, running our sound for us, and every week they get a count of the class and stuff, and Russ Chatham sends it to me, and he'll say, he'll say you know, 149 souls. And I love how he does that. He puts souls on there. I just love that. And that, that is how I think of you. And that is how I think of, of the people in the room out there. There's, there are souls. There are lives. There are people who need to hear things. And so I remind you, I start that way, to remind you of the writer of Hebrews' concern. You notice that if you go back to the very beginning of the book, uh, chapter 1, uh, go ahead and flip to it if you would. Chapter 1, it launches uh, into this letter in a different way. It, it doesn't sound like other epistles where it says, hey, it's me writing it, and then you're the recipient of it, and uh, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't start that way. It launches into this lofty and staggering description. Um, it talks about the Old Testament. It talks about um, uh, how the Old, the Old Testament talks about the Son. And look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. 
and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I mean, that is a clear statement of the divinity of Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the same stuff. And in case there's any question, God holds the universe together and Jesus is God. I mean, the the letter of Hebrews talks of the divinity of Christ, the divinity of Christ through and through. There's no warm up to the beginning of the letter. There's no, hey, our lives are really busy. There's no funny little anecdote or something about sports or anything like that. It just launches into this description It proceeds with this deep and dense and prodigious thought. Um, And chapter one pulls in the doctrine of the Trinity. It pulls in the divinity of Jesus Christ. It pulls in the prophetic nature of the Old Testament and to what it pointed. It pointed to Christ. It pulls in the uh, fulfillment of all that and the victory of Jesus Christ that um, he is now sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's right in the beginning of the letter. And the question is, why uh, does the writer begin that way? Well, um, flip ahead to chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, and this is what is on this writer's heart. Okay, This is why he's writing this way. This is the focus of this pastor who's, who's thinking of the souls in his care. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Don't think it's merely a reference to uh, churchmen and churchwomen who simply get bored or uh, simply get lazy, perhaps, or just simply fall out of the habit of, um, of fellowship with the saints. That does happen. There are Christians that fall out of the habit of the fellowship with saints, and they're sitting home again on a Sunday morning, and again they go to some other brunch somewhere, and they've fallen out of the habit. That's not what he's talking about. Those are dangerous things. But he is, he's talking about real spiritual danger. And, you know, I can look back, and so can you, on people um, that you thought were really spiritually grounded and stable, can't you? You can think of people who really, you go, wow, and they fall away. Um, They get older, their bank account gets bigger, um, accountability becomes less necessary, and um, they just start to relax and they start to forget uh, what he's saying. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. He's talking about the articulation of the gospel. And you drift away from that and you can end up in real spiritual danger. And I can tell you right now, um, you know, there's, there's a senior pastor of a fairly well-known church in this town who is not a believer. Preaches the gospel but behind closed doors, not a Christian. Um, I, I know a guy who works at a church here in Memphis, and he says, uh, I'm pretty sure the senior pastor's a Christian, but I don't really think any of the other pastoral staff are. And okay, so maybe you know, people haven't come to Christ and, and it's, a, it's a non-profit uh, operation and you know, there are Unitarians and all these other people out there that, uh, where the gospel isn't preached and so on. But I'm talking, I'm saying that there are, as you age in life, you will see professing believers who you thought to be solid who will fall away. It's a great danger. Now, the question, ladies and gentlemen, is someone who is eternally 
is someone who is saved eternally safe? The answer is yes. If someone falls away from the Christian faith, repudiates it, says, I don't believe that anymore. Were they ever a believer to begin with? No. Very clearly, a saved person is a saved person. A person who isn't saved is a person who isn't saved. Very clear in the scriptures. But, but friends, the pressures of the world challenge the faith of the Christian. They challenge us. They press us to yield to them rather than to yield to the scriptures. That's an ongoing battle. And this pastor is looking at these people who are under pressure from Judaism, under pressure to say, you know what? Enough with the breaking into our house. Enough with the persecution. Enough with the fact that I can't hold a job anymore because I'm a Christian. Enough with those pressures. It's just easier to go back here. He's, he's, he's warning them. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. And you know, in chapter 3, verse 12, somebody's calling me on the phone. Seriously? Walgreens. Great. Um, I'm at church, Walgreens. Um, chapter 3, verse 12. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Now, he's talking to brothers. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's not saying, hey, Christian person is sure of your salvation, you might lose it. He's not saying that. He's saying, wake up. Look around you. There are dangers. We're responsible for one another and there are pressures all over the place. And uh, we, we we see the visible church, but God sees the invisible and so it's a dangerous place, I think, is what the, the writer's whole point is. You know, um, the disciples, you don't have to turn, but let me just jump there real quick. When The disciples, um, they're uh, celebrating Passover with the Lord Jesus hours before the cross, the night of his arrest and betrayal. And uh, 20, yeah. Um, when it was evening, Jesus reclined at the table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? These are the disciples. One of you will betray me. Is it I? You know, you got Peter whose heart's attitude is, uh, you know, quite, quite soon afterward right here. He's going, I will never betray you. And uh, he's willing to pull out a sword. And uh, Peter And yet, they ask one after another, is it I? Is it I, Lord? I'm saying to you that I think the writer of Hebrews would say that that's a healthy question to ask. Is it me, Lord? Is it me? I don't want to fall away. I trust you. I'm leaning on you. Never let me fall away. You know, we sing a a hymn, um, Lord, it's, um, oh, we sing it on Maundy Thursday. Lord, never, never, never let me outlive my love to thee. That's, that's basically the idea. Don't let me outlive my love to thee. Don't let me fall away, Lord. Is it I? Let me cling to you. All right, so um, my point, uh, the big idea here today is this, I think. People of legitimate faith, I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about believing people, men and women. People of legitimate faith are people of vigilant reason. We come to faith in Christ, and that doesn't mean we get swallowed up in the clouds and we float around, and we're just a bunch of stupid uh, red state people. We are people of vigilant reason. 
And, and that's what this guy's saying, the writer of Hebrews, is that we need to be more careful and pay attention um, to that which we have heard, specifically gospel things. All right, this is an interesting passage to, passage to try to break down in structure. I've tried my best. Uh, we'll start this way. Um, first point, the reasons for assurance since we have. All right, reasons for assurance. Now, um, you may have noticed, look at verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter. And then in verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So you see that uh, you've got these two since we haves and then verse 22 launches into application. All right. So it seems like it's a good thing to to look at these since we haves. Uh, You'll soon see that the book of Hebrews takes a distinct turn from this point on. It moves from what has been chapters of doctrine to chapter, chapters of application, uh, also called the indicative uh, imperative. And so there's been a lot of real estate on, uh, on doctrine so far, the real things God is purposely telling you, and that, that now is, it's how do, we, how do we go live, all right? Um, so in chapter 12, um, you, you know, he ends up encouraging them uh, to not grow weary and faint-hearted. I, I would say that's a pretty, uh, that's pretty pastoral and uh, uh, applicable, wouldn't you? Um, uh, the good news is that the Bible isn't some cryptic collection of tales uh, uh, of old, um, but it's, um, it's communicated by the person of God to give us reasons to be sure, to give us reasons to, to, to know that we, we are saved, to, to know that we are safe. That can't be stressed enough. Uh, there, there are many Christians out there, ladies and gentlemen, who chase fairy dust, and it's good to feel things deeply. It's good to be relational. And you know, if you go to other countries, you will find, so for instance, India. Um, the girls are on this side. Oh, wait a second. It's one or the other. The girls, I think the girls are on this side, the men are on this side. All right, so in a room this size, you know how many women over here? Like 80. You know how many dudes are over here? Like six. <laughs> I mean, it's so disproportionate. So the women are very relational. And they get drawn into this idea of a relational, personal God, and the church gets planted a little bit differently. Um, So I'm saying, yeah, it's great to feel things deeply. It's great to want to be in relationship with God. It's great to long for those things and... um, but, but that's different than sentimentalism and oogie-googieism and Thomas Kincaid paintings on ice and that kind of thing. Um, it's different than that. We're a people of reason. We think about the true things God has revealed him, about himself, and this is how we know him. And all ministry is the Sp- Holy Spirit's application of this book to our lives. This is the only information we have aside from creation and this, general re- revelation and special revelation, and God draws us into deep fellowship with him through the true things he's told us. So um, let's look at our first one. Uh, we, since we have, the first one is in uh, verse 19, confidence to enter the holy places. So let's uh, put that up there. We have confidence in our access. Now to recap, um, that's a giant um, spiritual thing that you must know. The idea that God is so sacred. He is so separate. He's so um, set apart. He's so unpolluted, this God. And the Bible is clear that um, anything that is polluted cannot encroach upon his absolute moral purity. This is the way that God, the Bible describes God, absolute moral purity. And as Christians, we're told that not only do we have access, but ladies and gentlemen, we can have 
confidence in that access. Confidence to enter the holy places. Now, let's apply that for a second. You can imagine that if there really were a God like that, I believe, of course, that there is, that would put you and me in a very difficult place. Um, You know, if you could read my mind, you would see that uh, I'm far from the condition that would allow me to enter into the holy places. Um, All you have to do is peer into my heart and mind. Well, God does see it. He does see thoughts and intentions. He he does know where I stand. Um, Not equipped in my own self to enter to the the sacred places. Um, You know, folks, um, the the good news is this. We've got a good lawyer. Uh, We've got a good advocate. And that brings us to our uh, second thing, which is confidence in that advocate. So you've got this holy God who has to separate himself from sinners. He can't bring the polluted into his presence or he would himself be polluted. That would be untrue to his own self. He must keep himself separate from sin. Well, that's a big problem. But we got a good lawyer. We got confidence in our advocate. um, And that's, um, that's verse 21. Since we have a great priest over the house of God. You notice that uh, in verse 19, when we talk about confidence to enter the holy places, it's not just arbitrary. It is specifically by the blood of Jesus. That's why. Verse 20, uh, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And that is, of course, this is a summary of all the doctrine that's come beforehand, that um, it's a picture of the Jewish temple which had a middle place that was very special. It's where the holy uh, presence of God was manifested in this tabernacle, in the presence of the people. The presence of the Lord would would dwell there. And once a year, the priest would come in there with um, blood as payment for sin. So here's, here's, here's our other since we have, verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So you got the summary of what's happened in, in Old Testament Israel. And you know, folks, I was thinking about it. It's a lot like a GIF or a Vine video. When, when you think of the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system, you know, it just plays over and over. It's a loop. It just plays over and over and over. You think about that. Year after year of priestly service. Year after year after decade after century after century after century of, of people bringing an animal for their family saying, here you go, priest, kill this animal. Blood is gonna be shed. It's this vivid picture that just plays over and over and over and it never stops, but something happens and the writer of Hebrews starts talking about it. The encouraging message to the Hebrew Christians, ladies and gentlemen, who in the past had observed this sacrificial system that had to play over and over and over again. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, the final one has come. And as he's written the book of Hebrews, he he makes this plea that Jesus is superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to this priestly character who precedes Abraham named Melchizedek. He's superior. And he himself is the priest. And he himself is the sacrifice. I mean, it's just amazing. Jesus is the final sacrifice, the sacrifice that worked, the sacrifice that stops the loop is the writer's point. He was the perfect and divine mediator. He was a sacrifice of divine value and holy constitution. He takes upon himself a human life and then he lives that human life uh, correctly. He did humanity right. Now here's how all that stuff applies to your, uh, to your life. Um, one commentator I was reading was saying this. I thought this was a great quote. 
And I, I emphasize the end of it. He says, the point is that the one who opened and secured the way for us into God's presence, and here's my emphasis, is there himself. You know, that's why at funerals, it's such a big comfort to say, we have a living Lord. We have a living Lord who's not defeated. He's gone there to prepare a place for you. He's gone. He's the forerunner. He's the author. He's the pathfinder. Um, he's the adventurer. He's the one who's gone before and in heaven is in God's presence is, is Jesus himself. He's gone before us. You know, it makes me think of uh, TV shows when the cops bust into a place and uh, they're, they're, they're going through a place and they're to see if there's a bad guy and there's three cops and they're like, mm, they look in a room, they go, clear, mm, clear, mm, clear. Well, it's okay to go in there now. You know why? Because somebody went in before you. Somebody made sure it was okay for you, that you're not going to be harmed. And this is what this Jesus has done for us. That's how a a living Savior attorney uh, makes a difference in your life. Jesus has gone in as a forerunner, making safe the way. All right, let's look at the next point, a series of them. The goal of redeemed life. Um, Let us. So you see that there's another uh, hunk of quotes here. It's very very easy to spot that there's another trio uh, in this passage. At the beginning of um, verse 22, it says, let us draw near. Uh, Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another and so on. So you've got another little trio that it seems good to package. So let's look at the first one. Um, Let us draw near. Now, friends, uh, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, friends, look at our main point again. People of legitimate faith are people of vigilant reason. That's vigilant reasoning. You know, don't be the singer-songwriter who sits on his bed with a guitar going, bling, bling, um... I just want to bling, bling, say that it's so awesome, bling, bling, when you're in this place with grace, when I behold your face. I mean, that's why songs are so bad, because they're not saying, let us draw near with a true heart, whatever that means, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with water. I mean, that's reasoning. That's vigilant thought, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we're called to do. If you want to be close to God, that's the point. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. You want to be close to God? Well, this is the way you do it. Not by imaginings. Not by hunches. You do it by reasoning over the beautiful gospel that God has provided for you and given you the eyes to see. What's the point, ladies and gentlemen, of coming close to God if there isn't freedom and opportunity to worship? If there isn't a welcoming? You know, folks, if I, um, I um, want to draw near to a girl I'm dating named Tammy, what does that mean? If I want to draw near to her, well, I take her on dates and I give her food And that way she's trapped across the table from me and I can talk to her. 
And uh, what else do you do when you're dating? Oh, well, whoo, hi, how are you? Oh, good. You know, it's like probably the only person that anybody calls anymore. You know, everything else is this, but uh, when you're dating someone, how's it going? How's it going? Oh, let's, let's FaceTime each other, you know? I mean, you want to be with that person. You want to you engage because it's a relationship. And that's what this is saying is let us draw near to God because it's a relationship. Now, how is that relationship? Uh, uh, What does that teach us about God? Well, I mean, obviously, prayer is talking to God and uh, spending time under the authority and handling of God's word is listening to God. And when you're gathered with people and uh, you're submitting yourselves before him and you're worshiping, what is that? That's our grateful response to God. That's drawing near to God. Those are specific things. Um, Speaking of specific things, look at verse 22 again. Let us draw near with a true heart. Now, what does that mean, draw near with a true heart? I think in short, it means biblical fortitude. God wants truth. This is God's truth. He gave us his truth. You know, Jesus is the living word. You know, that's why he's the the ultimate prophet. We don't need any more prophets. When you see somebody, you, got, you go visit some weird church somewhere and the guy goes, I'm a prophet. Just leave. Because Jesus is the final prophet. We don't need more prophets. The living word came. The book is closed. This is God's word. The word of God is spoken, ladies and gentlemen. And so this is, this is, our, this is truth. So if you want to come with a true heart, God is saying, the stuff I gave you, the stuff I opened up your mind to see, this is truth. This is how you worship in, in truth. You know, we sing a song. Um, the, you'll sing a song in about an, an, 45 minutes. Um, I was blinded by my sin, had no ear to hear your voice. Uh, did not something, something within, something else. Had no taste for heaven's joys. Bad situation. Didn't want to listen to you, not even interested to you. And then something happens. Yeah, this is, it's a remarkable lyric. Then your spirit gave me life. Ah, that's biblically sound. The Holy Spirit gives life. And you know, you know the next thing, the next lyric? Opened up your word to me. I mean, it's the foolishness to the world. Just foolishness. But the Spirit gives us life, and the, and the transaction that happens is God opens up his word, and we say, oh, this is truth. Well, go back to this, ladies and gentlemen. We're supposed to pay, pay much closer attention to that which has been taught. This is it. This is the command uh, of the Bible. Go back to what's been taught. Come in truth. All right, the next one. In that same verse, let us draw near with a true heart. And the next one, in full assurance of faith. I mean, what does that mean? Full assurance of faith. It means believing promises. To come with full assurance means believing promises. Where do you find promises? Here. This is where you find promises. This is truth. Go back to the truth. How about the next one? Full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Ah, your conscience has been relieved. Very widely taught throughout this uh, letter, uh, the the relief of the conscience, uh, knowing our sins are removed. And then the last one, uh, washed with pure water. 
Now, obviously, that speaks of cleanliness, and um, uh, commentators debate on exactly what that means. Most people say, well, that sounds a lot like baptism, and I would agree that it sounds a lot like baptism, but does it mean baptism, or does it mean what baptism symbolizes? Uh, I'm not sure, but here's what one writer uh, says. that he, he says that it's what baptism symbolizes, and uh, let me show you something here. This is, don't turn, because it's uh, hard to find, but um, yeah. Yeah, listen to this. Um, This is from Ezekiel uh, 36, uh, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I think that's probably what the writer of Hebrews might be thinking of, is this idea of God's cleansing. Um, and, and, the, and specifically, um, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit, uh, and that's the saving work that baptism ultimately symbolizes. So uh, that's what I would think. All right, so let's go on to the next one. The next one is um, uh, let us hold fast. Now, if you would look at uh, chapter 3, verse 14. uh, 3, verse 14. um, It says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How about chapter 4, verse 14? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So again, we're, we're, it, the, the, the scriptures beseech us to grip, to hold on to these things that we know to be true, to be driven back to the scriptures, to be driven back to what is taught in God's word, to, to hold fast. Um, and uh, so the question is to what? to hold fast to the content of the faith uh, we possess. And here's some modern-day pressures, okay? And you'll know people like this. Um, There are very public clergy uh, who go through this. Um, You're a a clergyman. You've taught the scriptures your whole life, and and, uh, you you say, all right, this is my my guide. This is the truth. Um, I had no interest in these things, but the Spirit gave me life and opened up God's word to me, and I'm under this book. I'm a, I'm a man or a woman under the book. And then you have a child, and that child has gender issues, gender identity crises. And, uh, you know, they're 24, 27, 28, 31, and they struggle, and uh, they're sad, and you just want them to be happy. Don't you want your kids to be happy? You just want them to be happy. And uh, so they come out. And so what, and then what do you do? What are you supposed to do? Um, do you bend to the world? Or are you a man of the book? That's where the rub comes. That, that's one of the most poignant and easy to come up with illustrations. That's happened to clergy. It's happened to parents. But ladies and gentlemen, um, the Lord Jesus makes it very clear. He came to divide. Even households, that's what that looks like, dividing households, to say, son, I love you, man. I love you. Uh, your mom and dad, mom, mom and I will always be here for you. We will always love you. You'll always be our son. We all will always want your best, but we're men, men, we're, I'm a man of the book, and she's a woman of the book, and uh, we love you. You're welcome in our home, but uh, 
We, we, we can't do certain things because we're people of the book. Uh, I'm telling you, you waver on, those th- you, you waver on things that, that cause you to yield to the pressures of the world rather than yield to the book, and that's where the danger comes. That's what this guy's saying. Yield to the book and be people of the book. Hold fast to the content uh, that you've been given, the content of the faith we possess. All right, uh, last one. The goal of redeemed life, let us congregate. And, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, um, I I can't tell you enough. I'm I'm in a weird spot, right? Because I'm a Bible teacher of this class. And then I leave here and I go out there and I'm a worship leader in this other thing. And um, I can tell you from many years of being a worship leader, let me watch the clock here. I can tell you from many years of being a worship leader that a lot of people have this perception that, uh, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, it's this warm-up stuff. Um, you know, if there was something of value going on in there, I would show up on time. But, uh, but you know, there's really just kind of warming up and uh, they're playing their little songs and uh, they kind of slide. And you ought to see First Hour, man. It's depressing. Anybody, who's on our music team? You're on our music team. Oh, look at all these people on the music team. Is first hour depressing? I mean, it's like there's 14 people out there and they trickle in and trickle in. And by the end of it, there's, you know, they're all, they've all come on in. But they're sliding in during the third song, the fourth song. And, and this, it's this attitude like, ah, eh, what happens here is just kind of important. Let the guy get up who yells. And, uh, you know, as long as that just kind of warms up for him, then, then and that's great. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know how messed up that is? Um. God has prescribed things. It's not an option for God's people to worship together. It's not an option. It's not not a luxury. It's not an add-on to your life. It is critical for your spiritual health. You know, um, Tim Morgan's mother, uh, when she was alive, this is a few years ago, but uh, she was in a a phase where she was like watching TMZ all the time. And, And... and Tim would go over there dutifully and, uh, you know, clean her house and cook her food. I mean, he was over there a lot. The, the, the kids all took turns helping her and stuff. But uh, he, was, he would laugh about it and tell me about it. And she would go, oh, yeah, Angelina. She da-da-da-da-da. Oh, yeah, you should have seen what uh, Katy Perry's done now. And uh, Tim was like, man, she talks to him like they're our relatives, like, we're so engaged with their lives. She's just got them on all the time. She knows about all the celebrity details and everything. It's just like their family. And what I'm saying to you is, ladies and gentlemen, that's the way it's supposed to be in church life, where this is the hub of your life. Your whole families rotate around this. And it's not that you grow your kids up and they, they, they go off to school and they, they get, become adults and then you're empty nesters and you got a little more cash and they're done with college and poof, now you're like, okay, great. Because that happens a lot. You just see people who were immersed in church life planning things and then they just disappear. That's, that, you can't be healthy and be in that situation. You just can't. This is a means of grace. We've got to have each other. And I told this to Tammy. I, I've never met a person. I, I, you know, I had a, an encounter with someone recently who is just spiritually, theologically adroit. I mean, just really deep. Um, but doesn't worship anywhere. And uh, I've seen it in this guy. I've seen it in I've seen it in quite a few people, at least this many people, who have um, stopped, who, who who are theologically adroit and equipped, who cease fellowship with the body, and guess what happens? 
first thing that happens is their theology takes a hit. Because now iron isn't sharpening iron anymore. Now they're not getting the steady diet of God's truth. Now they're not singing the true things. Now they're not with the saints, uh, collected up, worshiping God together. It's just so dangerous. Um, that's the whole point of the Hebrew writer here, ladies and gentlemen, that people of legitimate faith are people of vigilant reason. Vigilant means vigilant. We cannot let up on it. We cannot let up on the preaching of God's word, the assembling of God's people, drawing near, doing it in truth, um, uh, holding fast in confidence and so on. All right, last thing we're done. Um, I've got this little thing that I've, that I've done for years, and it's basically because of FedEx. Um, they had a campaign years ago, when they, and this was like early on, early on. They, they would say, when you absolutely positively have to have it there overnight. You remember that? That's a good slogan. And you know, it's just great marketing because when you're picking one, you're like, this really has to be there overnight. Can I go brown or can I go with the cheapie or, uh, you know what? This one really has to be. I mean, and, you, and really, that's, that's the, where you'll go is FedEx. Um, it's a great one when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight. Well, I've used that phrase for many, many years, as, as my wife will tell you. Um, like, for instance, you have to take an important pill. And uh, you ever done this where you take a pill and you're like, did I take it? Did I not take it? Oh, crud. I mean, how, how do you open a bottle, take a pill, put something in your mouth, do that, and then forget? It? You can't remember. Um, so what I'll do is I'll look at that thing and I'll go, absolutely positively. And now I know. Uh, when we're driving to Destin, uh, somewhere around the 300-mile mark or somewhere, Tam will go, oh, I left the iron on. Oh, no. Oh, the iron our house is on fire right now. And I'll be able to say, I went in there, honey, knowing you. I looked at it. The plug is out of the wall, absolutely positively. And she'll go, oh, good. Because she knows if I say absolutely positively, it's happened. I do that when I lock up the house. And uh, I do that too when I walk over a sewer grate holding keys. This is another little thing. <laughs> when I walk over a sewer grate holding keys, I got two things I do. I say to myself, squeeze the keys, pretty good, and when I hit it, I go, absolutely positively. I strut over that thing, and I'm confident, and what I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that we need to be people who are all about absolutely positively. I'm a preacher. I'm preaching things to you. Oh, really? Let's see if it's absolutely positively measured against this book. Oh, I have a swirling feeling. I think God might be like this. Okay, great. Better be absolutely positively. Or that you're not drawing near in truth. Squeeze the keys, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Draw near to God. Do it absolutely positively. Be a vigilant reason because that's a person of authentic faith, a healthy person. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for helping us uh, crunch through... uh, a dense and wonderful passage. And I, I just pray, Lord, that uh, I would have not uh, bumbled into your way, but that the truth would be known, would be embraced. Open up your word to us, Lord. Make us vigilant people, people who go back, driven back, back to your word. Uh, make us people who are um, of the book, people who are under the book, people who yield to the book at all costs, including yielding to things in this life that are very precious. Uh, We pray all these things for Christ's glory and in his power. Amen. Thanks, everybody.